Yesterday, I spent uh, much of the day with our focused missionaries here at the Newman Center here at UIC, but also with um, missionaries from all over our region of the campuses throughout Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and even one parish in the St. Louis area that has focused missionaries. Now, if you know the focused missionaries here or are familiar with the organization, um, it's based on mostly small group Bible studies and one-on-one mentorship as a way to spread the kingdom of God, spread the gospel, not so much through big events, but through investing in particular relationships, especially with people who um, can hear the radical message of the gospel and make a decision whether or not they want to actually put Jesus as the center of their life. The idea being that the more disciples we can make, the people who are not just coming to church, but actually recognize themselves as the church, that we're a part of the body of Christ and that my life now is not about me, but about a mission that's been bestowed upon me. That is what changes the world. That's what uh, Paul the Apostle was doing and Jesus himself with his 12 apostles. The way that the world, the kingdom of God spread throughout the world all the way to the ends of the world that we have today um, was through those, that chain of relationships, that chain of discipleship. I was really struck by one of the stories that uh, a young woman who was a, pa- a parish missionary said about a woman in one of her Bible studies who is 50 years old and has six children and has always come to church and she's been coming to this Bible study and um, the missionary was having coffee with her and gave her this gospel presentation, which is just basically like the meat and potatoes of what it means to be a Christian, that we believe that we're made for relationships of perfect love, that our sin, our abuse of our freedom has has broken those relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and that Jesus, the Son of God, has come in human form, um, although divine, to heal those relationships. And through his death and resurrection, we can now have access to that perfect love. We can return to the Father um, in this life, through the life of the sacraments, but in the life to come, eternal life. And so we have to follow Jesus. We have to die and rise with him. And she, she gave her what was called the high calling talk. Like, do you actually want to, do you not just want to say, I believe that and that's good. I ch- check the box. I want to go to heaven. I believe in Jesus. Or do you actually want to make him the center of your life? Do you want to actually follow him? And she was just at this stage in her life, she said, and, and at the end of the conversation, it finally like dawned on her what this really means. And she said, you know, this changes everything. You know that, right? And I thought, what a, what a thing for a woman in her 50s, with six children, married, gone to church her whole life, to say that this changes everything. If Jesus is who he says he is, who the church says, who I say he is, that changes absolutely everything. How do we get to that point? That we can be Christians, say we're Christians, act like Christians, but not really realize how much Jesus changes everything. I think... One reason is I find this a lot when I do baptism prep. Um, I'll ask the parents, why do you want to have your child baptized? And it's usually one of two reasons, or both. One is I want my child to have a good moral upbringing, and the church is a good place for the kid to learn right from wrong. So baptism, you become a member of the church, then hopefully you get kind of by osmosis or by example a good uh, moral compass, doing the right thing. And the second reason is because when things get tough in life, you want someone or something you believe in to kind of comfort you, to be there, to be your support. And faith, you know, sometimes they say my faith has been a big support to me when I lost a relative, etc., or went through a hard time, lost a job. And so God, so there's sort of therapeutic reasons that you might find Christianity useful, either because it teaches you right from wrong 
or its comfort in dark times and suffering. But very rarely do you get a parent that says, because I want my child to make Jesus the center of their life and to feel a call from on high to give their lives away, to die, to carry their cross, deny themselves every single day and become a saint. Very rarely do I hear that from parents, but why they want to have their kid baptized. But that's what baptism is for. In the gospel today, after last week's baptism, when we heard the father say from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Now we have John the Baptist's testimony. He saw that. He saw the dove come down after he poured the water on Jesus. He heard the voice. He says, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. How? Well, where have we seen a dove in water before? In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. Noah, right? And the ark and the flood, when 40 days and 40 nights of rain destroyed absolutely everything, except this select few, you know, the the pairs of animals and Noah and his family. And the dove goes off and comes back with the olive branch and descends, you know, as kind of a a sign that, okay, the annihilation is over. Then we get the rainbow and then the dove goes and doesn't come back. Okay, the, the annihilation is over and now it's the time of rebirth. Well, that was a prefigurement of what baptism was and what is on display in Jesus's baptism when he makes holy the waters that all of us are bathed in to be free of original sin, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How? By a Holy Spirit and fire, annihilating and burning and purging away all of your old self, all of the self attached to sin and selfishness. Every part of you that thinks your life is about you has to die, has to be burnt and purged away, annihilated in the flood of your baptism so that the Holy Spirit can come and animate you That can be your soul. That can be your purpose, what drives you, your mission. This is what Paul, the second reading is just Paul's intro to the Corinthians. And think about this letter to the Corinthians, by the way. One of the earliest letters we have, one of the earliest pieces of Christian literature, Paul had founded this church in Corinth not many years prior to the writing of this letter. I kind of think of the letter to the Corinthians as like, oh, he's writing to this big city. It's a big, important Greek city, right? Corinth. And somebody must have been reading this at a big amphitheater to all of these Corinthian Christians. But no, it was probably just like a few dozen people that he had like invested in, like these focus missionaries, and, and announced the gospel, said, this, is, this changes everything if you understand it, that Jesus is God, he rose from the dead, and you can have new life. You don't have to be attached to your old life of sin and death. You can have life and have it to the full if you die and follow him. And so these like, 24, 30 people are sitting around reading this letter. And Paul's like, I'm an apo- I've been called an apostle of Jesus Christ to you, the holy ones who are being sanctified. You know, like we think in the church, oh, things are pretty dire. So few people are coming to Mass. Look at the Corinthians. Look at St. Paul. What did they think? They were going up against the whole world, the Roman Empire. But they believe that this changes everything. I'll finish with this. A lot of times when we're discerning our vocation or like, like when you're in high school and you go to the guidance counselor and there's, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what do you feel called to do? If they even use that language of calling. There's a, a, a kind of cliche. I know I heard it um, at the time. It's when I was in college later on. Like, what do, you, what do you really want to do with your life when you're thinking about that? And I can't remember who said this, but it's something like your, your calling is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Have you ever heard that? It's very nice. You know, your deep gladness, whatever it 
turn, you know, turns your light on, that you, you, makes you happy, makes you joyful, what, what you feel glad doing and what the world really needs, that's, that's sort of our way of thinking about, okay, that's my calling. And that's, that's good for a job or profession or even a vocation. But ultimately, biblically, it's really not about what makes me glad. It's not even about what the world needs. Like, I, can't, I don't... Look at the apostles, Peter and Andrew, these fishermen. You think they went to a guidance counselor and they were like, what do you really like doing? Do you like going and preaching the gospel to all the nations and getting your head cut off or being crucified upside down? Or like, <laughs> No, if they had filled out their sheet, apostle would not have made the list. It was a summons from the outside. A voice, that's what vocation comes from, summons you, calls you to something higher. And that's how you're redeemed. That's how you're saved, is God gives you something to do for him. That's what our baptism ultimately is. It's, it's a relationship. It changes our relationship to reality, to God the Father. We become his adopted children. And in that relationship, I find my identity. This is who I am. This is the central part of my life that's changed everything. All my priorities, what I value, what makes me happy, what breaks my heart, all is related to my relationship to God the Father in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that identity now gives me a mission. God has called me to something concrete in the world, something to do for him, and that changes everything.